Welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz, and I am solo tonight. Uh, Mike is not uh, with me tonight. He is doing some traveling and not able to be with me tonight. Sadly missed. Uh, love having Mike here with me on the G220 Radio program, but he should be back next week. Um, and I think next week we will be getting back into our series on the family and we'll be discussing divorce and remarriage. That'll be our program uh, next week. Should be, Lord willing. We'll see how it goes. Um, but tonight, I'm not alone, even though I'm flying solo. I do have a guest on the program tonight, and I'm excited uh, to have my guest on uh, to the program with us tonight. We're going to be talking about the Hiles Anderson camp of the IFB. And so who better to bring on than someone I found online, which is where I find a lot of my guests online on social media, Facebook, or on YouTube, and uh, no difference here. This is Pastor Jeffrey Dollar. He is the pastor of Community Bible Church, uh, and he's with us here tonight. Uh, pastor Jeff, thanks for uh, coming on the program with us tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, this is an interesting topic because I kind of, I grew up in the independent fundamentalist Baptist circles. Um, I would not say that the circles that I grew up in were as extreme as my wife's because she grew up in it as well. Um, she kind of grew up in between the Hiles Anderson kind of camp and the Ruckman camp. So she was mm. in both those churches. She was in a Hiles kind of church for about 17 years of her life. And then they moved uh, because the pastor, new pastor came in, wasn't big on the King James. And so they moved to a, another church that was a King James only church that happened to be very Ruckman. Uh, in their, um, you know, teachings and and style of things or that side of the camps. And so she was there for another 15 to 17 years of her life uh, until we got married. And then she came out. Now she's in the reform side of things, uh, still a Baptist, but reformed. And um, but uh, so but I grew up in a very it was a King James kind of preferred independent fundamentalist Baptist church, but not to the extreme, like I said, as some of these. Uh, that are under a Ruckman or under a Hiles. And so I saw your videos online on social, on, on YouTube, and I came across them and I thought, man, this is some good information here. Um, some, some good uh, things to kind of sink, uh, uh, dive into and, and, and see what's really going on because I started to see and interact with a lot of these new IFB people online. And I'm like, man, this is somewhat familiar with some of the old stuff, but it's kind of, you know, it's calling itself new and I found your videos. And so all that to say, I'm thankful to have you on the program. Thankful for your YouTube channel. 
Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, let people know that YouTube channel where they can find uh, your sermons, as well as uh, some of this on the IFB and then the new IFB. Well, one thing, uh, I'm very, I guess you'd say, ignorant about technology. Uh, so the only way I would know to find myself would be to go to YouTube and type in Jeff Dollar. And eventually I, I pop up. I think there's another pastor, Jeff Dollar. You should be able to tell the difference uh, whenever you, you compare the two. But I, I became a believer whenever I was in my late teens. Uh, my family was very mixed religiously. They, they came from a Roman, my, my uh, mother's side, Roman Catholic. My, my dad's side uh, was Mennonite and uh, Catholic mixed. And my, my mother's side is actually Methodist and, and, and Catholic mixed. So there was a lot of mixture. But my late teens, my mother uh, became hooked up with a, uh, an independent church. And she eventually came to the Lord and uh, convinced me later to attend a church on Easter Sunday. And the preacher preached a sermon on the resurrection. And it was there, I believe, that at least at the beginnings of my uh, faith journey began. Uh, I, I, was, I don't know exactly when I was, was saved, but I, I came eventually to the point where I uh, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my, my life had been turned around uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it was an IFB church. And uh, I, I was able for, for several years to, to uh, attend there. And I believe to grow as, as much as possible under the circumstances. And then I ended up going to Hiles Anderson. And that's, that's um, really where the IFB, extreme IFB, began to kick in in my life. So, so you went to Hiles Anderson. This is a college, right? And, and I was talking to my wife earlier about this because, like I said, my wife is way more familiar with those um, camps within the IFB, like the very influenced by Hiles or very influenced by Ruckman. And she was telling me, I, I think it's PIB. I think that's what she said it was for Ruckman or PBI. I think that's what it was for Ruckman's kind of the, where they would go to a seminary or go to a, a Bible college and then Bible Institute. And then you have um, Hiles Anderson, and they're very influential in those, those mm -hmm. circles. And so you, you said you went there. What, what kind of was that like that atmosphere? Cause actually when I posted about this show tonight, one of my friends who I do street ministry with, um, he is in, in the IFB circles and he said he went to Hiles Anderson back in 1985 or so. Huh. And I asked him, I said, well, was it okay. a good experience, bad experience? And he had, he had said, uh, posted and said that, well, it was, it was good at the time. And then after I came out, I started to hear other things and, and looked back and said, Oh, mm -hmm. I didn't recognize that at the time, but seeing some of, you know, some of the things that were there. Um, but just kind of your experience of being there, because I do believe, um, and you probably do as well. There are many brothers and sisters that are within these IFB churches, uh, mm -hmm. that yes. maybe just theologically, they're not seeing things because they're so entrenched in the, the teaching or the, uh, the, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but the, some of the legalism that kind of comes in the moralism, uh, that's there that they don't see some of those things. They're maybe blinded to some of those things. But, uh, um, so what, what was maybe your experience there at the Hiles Anderson college? Well, I, I was there from 1979 until 1984. And the reason that I, I attended there was primarily due to the youth conference 
uh, which I attended as a teenager, and then pastor school, uh, which was, uh, I was uh, in my late teens as well. I, I went with the, the men of the church. And at that time, they still had John R. Rice preaching, Lester Roloff. And uh, those men, I believe, were a little more orthodox than what came to be later at Hiles Anderson. Now, I don't know what the school is like now. I haven't been there uh, mm -hmm. since about 1988 or 89 uh, when I went down to, uh, I took a youth, a, a youth, uh, our youth group there uh, when I was a, a youth pastor back in about 89, but uh, it was very exciting. You know, I, I have that, uh, I had a desire to share the gospel. I had a desire to serve the Lord. And there's plenty of opportunity there, but it was very regimented. And I found myself having a difficult time finding my, my niche when I was there. Uh, they, they more or less recommend, at least at, uh, back in those days, they recommended you start with the bus ministry, at least do one year of the bus ministry. And I did that. You go to Chicago, uh, you go in the dead of winter, uh, you go to the very worst neighborhoods, uh, and, and you do your soul winning and you try attempt to, to build your bus routes. And I was involved in that for about a year. And, and, and after that, I, I began to, to move around to other ministries because I, I really, uh, I was having difficulty uh, trying to reconcile what I knew had happened to me as a believer with the methods that they were using. Now they, they would promote the, say the prayer, uh, you go through the Romans road, say the prayer, you're saved, come down to you, uh, get baptized. You know, and that's about all there was to it. And I recognized in myself that there had been a transformation of heart. And that seemed to be the thing that was missing. But I was too young and inexperienced at the time to really put the two together. Yeah, it's interesting. My my, my friend did bring up um, when we were talking about him, and he's very in, he's very involved in bus ministries with different you know churches that he's been at. Um, but that is one of the things that it seems to. I know when I came out of more of a non-Calvinistic or more of a reformed understanding of soteriology, because we do a lot of evangelism on the streets. We, we go out, we mm -hmm. preach on the streets, we share the gospel on the streets, go to college campuses and different events and whatnot. But one of the things that was very freeing to me was realizing that it's that God saves. It is God that does the work. It's not on me to necessarily get someone to repeat a prayer. It's not on me to get someone mm -hmm. to say say things in a certain kind of way. Um, and it wasn't on me to produce numbers. All I needed to do was give the gospel. And if God was going to work in that person's heart, he was going to do that. If God was going to use it to harden that person's right. heart, he was going to do that. And it was very freeing to me. Um, I don't think I seen it as, well, there was this difference or transformation in me. It was just more of a, the, uh, experiential in the sense of as I was evangelizing, it was just easier to to kind of rest in and trust in the fact that, no, God saves. While I want to be persuasive, like Paul said, I want to persuade men, I'm, I'm not, it's not on me to kind of bring, bring those people, like save their souls. I'm only a messenger bringing forth a message, you know, a minister of reconciliation before them. And, and that was very freeing for me. That, uh, I think that you, I think you hit the nail on the head there because when I was there, that was a great burden to me. Uh, I I would I would go through the the motions and go through the the program, but I would not 
push a person to say a prayer or do anything like that if I didn't feel like there was something actually there. And so I was a, a, a dismal failure when it came to getting people to come to church or getting people to walk the aisle, you know, and how many people you had. And there was a lot of pressure. You, you were told uh, you had to go through the entire Romans row with at least one person every week. And if you didn't do that, you would get 10 demerits. Mm. And I remember one time I used to work at the Hammond Times, which was just a block away from First Baptist Church. And I'd be getting off work. I had to work Sunday nights and I'd be getting off work and I'd be being approached by other college students and they'd be giving me the Romans road. I said, wait a minute, I'm a college student. And I go there and they, oh no, then they would just keep going and keep going. And they would say, okay, and then they'd be gone. But it was that kind of a thing. Right. And, you know, and the idea was just, just pump them out and get them, get them uh, as many as you can uh, to walk the aisle and to be baptized because in those days there was a sword of the Lord and they would print all of the statistics for all the different churches. And uh, first Baptist, there was a lot of pressure to keep that church number one. Yeah. I believe. Yeah, I remember my wife telling me the way that it was kind of conveyed to them. And and her father, she had said that her father went to the pastor's schooling there, mm -hmm. um, down there with other men from their church when it was one of the Hiles, the, the Hiles church that they was at at first. Um, but it was a very, it kind of bred an environment, like you said, where it's very focused on soul winning. It's very focused on this. And then it kind of left you with this. If you did not share the gospel with such and such person and they die and, 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 and they they die apart from Christ, it's your fault. It's kind of like it was, well, you mm -hmm. didn't share the gospel. It's on you, you know? And so again, that's why I think when, when you realize the, what the scriptures teach that God is the author and finisher of our faith. And I know there's disagreements between my, my non-Calvinistic brothers and sisters in Christ about how that all comes to be. Um, but thankfully, even them being inconsistent at times, I think with scripture still believe it is God who is saving, right. Um, they're just working out the inner works or the, the details of that. But mm -hmm. um, it is very freeing on you to know that, yeah, I may feel the Lord kind of leading me towards sharing the gospel with someone, and I may fail in that, I may falter in that, or and I may not share the gospel, or I may do that. But ultimately, God is in control, and if it's if it's one of His sheep, they will hear the the, the gospel at some point. He will bring someone mm -hmm. to them. Right. But it, it again, it comes back to that the freeingness, the freeing aspect of trusting the Lord being sovereign over that. But that is something that I know when. When we got married, we we're a blended family. And when we got married, that was something that her kids even had this idea that if they didn't share the gospel, then they were in sin because somebody could have died and went to hell because they didn't mm -hmm. go and do that. So it kind of puts that that yoke upon you when it comes to evangelism. Yeah, I, I still feel that to this day. Uh, I, I work uh, I work a full time job as well as pastoring a church and of customers come in and out. And at times I get that guilt feeling where I didn't give that person the gospel, even though I really can't do that on, on the job. But there's that uh, that lingering sense there of what what we have been taught it was drilled into us. Mm -hmm. You had to 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 say those things. You had to take advantage of every opportunity. Uh, if you're preaching and and you don't give the, 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 the right amount of passion into your preaching, that person walks out unsaved. It's your fault. You know, things like that. And, and it's not just Hiles Anderson or First Baptist. I think that that's a right, right. really uh, common among the uh, that type of thinking. And mm -hmm. I really think that uh, 
it's more of a semi-Pelagian viewpoint, or even some of them are full-blown Pelagians. Yeah. You know, that, that yeah. it's the, the free will of man. You know, right? Everything depends on that, and you're responsible to try to turn that free will somehow to get them saved. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So you said that was one of the things that was kind of starting to weigh on you there. And then you, you moved from like a, but like the bus ministry kind of aspect of that with the soul winning, what were some of the other things that was kind of moving you or where you began to see some of the issues within the IFB? Uh, I think what, what really did it for me was the scandals uh, that had, had occurred there at Hiles Anderson. I, and First Baptist Church, there were things going on there that I was getting glimpses of, and you'd hear little things here and there. And at the same time, we're, we're hearing this is the greatest church in the world, and and that uh, it's it's better than the Church of Acts. It's it's a greater church than the than the than the church in the Book of Acts. Wow. How Dr. Wow. House is the greatest preacher, and all of that. And then, I'm, but I'm seeing all these things going on behind the scenes, and. Uh, I had a friend that was telling me of a, a, a scandal that was going on right within the church in, the, in their rescue mission. And he said, I went to talk to Dr. House about it, and he wouldn't listen to me. Now, I said, well, I, I recommended go talk to Dr. House. He said he did, but he, he wouldn't do anything and didn't listen. And I began to see things at that point that uh, these these people have feet of clay. And I began to be open. I, I wasn't going in any particular direction. I was still full-blown IFB. But things began as I got older. And another thing that helped me was my wife. Uh, she was not a uh, Hiles Anderson girl. She was uh, born and, and raised in Pennsylvania, grew, uh, grew up in a uh, evangelical Methodist church, which is fundamentalist Methodist. And she would point out certain things to me that that uh, were really out of whack with with Christianity, and that began to work on me over time. Uh, but it wasn't until the actual scandal with with Dr. Hiles, with uh, the our article that came out by Robert Sumner was I think it's named his name was Robert Sumner uh, that uh, I, I really began to see, and, and I, I made the break. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it was the sovereignty of God as well because. Uh, I was doing everything I could to stay there to do my best, and I, I lost my job. Uh, I couldn't find another job. My my children were sick; they couldn't go to the nursery. I couldn't. Uh, we couldn't sit in church because no babies were allowed in church. So you you were supposed to take the baby to the nursery, but uh, you couldn't do that because of uh, my my kids were getting sick in the nursery. So eventually, we we left there. I never did finish. Uh, I did go back and try again. Uh, but uh, it was the scandals when I was away from there there that eventually uh, opened my eyes to the whole thing. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I wasn't aware of that with the uh, the children not being allowed to be within the service. Um, I, I'm we're we've been in very like family integrated churches for a while, so for for me that's kind of just become commonplace. But mm -hmm. you know, I, I do. I do understand that, you know, even when I think back to my my time in the independent fundamentalist Baptist church that I was a part of, again, not even of, of these kind of uh, of a Hiles kind of sect or or a, um, a, a Ruckman type. But and it was an independent fundamentalist Baptist church. And whenever we had visitors with children, they would always kindly go to them and say, hey, would you like your children to go to our children's church or to the nursery and whatnot? But if they said no, there wasn't a push to that. 
but y- mm-hmm. you're saying that this was there was not allowed to be or children were not allowed to be in in the church service right if a, if a baby was to cry in the church if the baby did get in in the first place and cry dr howes would tell the parents to take that baby out wow uh, so uh and uh, well another thing is when you get five thousand six thousand people in a room and you've got 15 or 20 babies you know i guess that would make it a little bit difficult to try mm-hmm. to preach if all the babies are crying but but they did have that rule and because my my one son was getting sick at a regular basis mm-hmm. the doctor told me not to put him in the nursery which really put us in a dilemma yeah and i actually went to dr hiles and asked him what do i do you know and uh this is one of the only times i actually met him and talked to him uh about 30 second counseling session he just said listen to your doctor and I told my wife, well, I guess that means we're leaving. Mm-hmm. And so we, we left and I went to another school and it was just a total shock to me at this other school. It was a Methodist school that my wife's family uh, had been associated with. Uh, and there was a variety of people there from different backgrounds. I had Calvinists there. I'm thinking, I saw this guy that had a picture of Calvin on his desk. I'm thinking, why did they let this guy in here? This is this is a cult. <laughs> you know? And there was a guy that his hair was a little back in the seventies and early eighties, his hair was a little over his ears. I'm thinking, boy, that, that guy needs a haircut. What, what am I doing in this school? But it was there. I began to, to be fed other things. I had to take systematic theology, which I never had at Hiles Anderson. Uh, I was exposed to debate uh, where there'd be different positions on, on different theological issues, which we were never, a, a, never able to discuss whatsoever, because if you said the wrong thing, uh, you would be thrown out of the school. Uh, so it was there and eventually being called to a, an evangelical Methodist church as a Baptist that uh, I, w- I was uh, uh, eventually uh, broke a- completely away from them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's very interesting, um, you know, thinking about it. Uh, one of the things I think is from my interactions with family members, uh, that are still in the IFP heavily. And like, I do, I do believe there's, there's brothers and sisters in there. I want to make that abundantly clear that, you know, to be as gracious as possible to those who are our brothers and sisters within it. But there's almost this mentality that we're taught what to believe, but not how mm-hmm. to believe, like not how to understand what it is, what we believe. The pastor said this or preacher said this. And so therefore we, we take that as word, word is bond there rather than examining what is being taught and why. And, and as you was mentioning, when you start looking at systematic theology, when you start looking at the, the scripture as a whole and saying, we, we can't come to some of these conclusions that we're coming to if we're taking the scripture as a whole, if we're looking at it systematically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that when people start to do that, one of the things when um, I've taught some evangelism classes, and one of the things I, I, I start with is I say, look, take some time to get to know the attributes of God first and foremost, mm-hmm. because this is who we're going out to, to praise and worship and be a minister of reconciliation f- for God. Right. And so get to know the God that you are worshiping and serving. And if you get to know those attributes of God, other things start to not make sense because if, if you, if you had a, a system or an understanding of something that goes against the very character and nature of God against his attributes, then it's not the attribute of God that's wrong. It's your mm-hmm. understanding of that system or that belief that you have within that uh, framework. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that uh, something came to mind there uh, with that evangelism that we were taught was we were told you shouldn't take any more than about five or 10 minutes at the most with a person. And some people that I would run into in Chicago would be uh, from a, an Islamic background or some other background. I had to start right at the beginning and explain who God is and what, who is the, the, what is the Christian view of God and what does God require. And mm-hmm. I might be talking to somebody for a half hour, an hour, and then later uh, as, I, as a trainee, uh, I would get in trouble for that because I took too much time. And it was things like that as that eventually came to open my eyes to, to the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Another thing I say is, is when, when you're evangelizing, it actually helps you grow because people start asking you questions. And Mm -hmm. if you, if you only have uh, a method down and I think Romans wrote like memorizing verses from the word of God, it's a great thing to have. Mm -hmm. But if you come, if you come into it with, this is my method and I have to stick to this to a T and in the time frame, like you're saying, I only got this much time. You don't allow for that conversation to develop. I know that when I go to the college, there are sometimes I get in conversations with some students that it doesn't go where I want it to go. I, I, I give them a gospel track. I may get a few things in there, but I'm also, I care about them and I'll ask them about what they're mm-hmm. at school for and whatnot. And then the conversation will end. They have to get to class or something. Uh, and then I'm like, man, I wish I could have got more in there. But then the next time I go there or a couple times after when I go back, I run into them again and more conversation is developed, right? It's it's not necessarily, mm-hmm. it's again, trusting in the providence and the sovereignty of God that he's going to do a work with the word of God as it is um, planted or as the seeds are sown in this individual's heart. And so you may water it, another one comes along, or you may plant it, another one comes along and waters it. Or you may get another opportunity down the road. Or like you said, the conversation may go longer where the person has a complete, and you can kind of tell sometimes, I think maybe you're, you're, you you would agree with me. You can kind of tell in some of the conversations that you have with people that if they're genuine with you, it, it shows. If they're just coming up to mock and yeah. waste your time, it shows. So if someone's genuine, I want to take the time to listen to them because you got to hear what they're saying first before you can respond and then be able to address those questions they may have or misconceptions they may have about Christianity. And that helps to listen and then being able to explain, well, no, that's not what Christianity is. You've got a wrong view here. Let me help you. This is what the Bible says and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And one thing that that I believe the false evangelism eventually led to was a uh, problem in theology. So when I was there, there was a change in the theology of, of Dr. Hiles, at least. Uh, and I think it had to do with the numbers, you know, how many we, we had to have so many people saved. But then there was the issue of, OK, we had 100,000 people saved uh, this year, but we have 150 come back, come to church and get baptized or you know something of that effect. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, what they began to do was alter their theology to try to fit that and uh, we ended up uh, with sermons against the lordship of Christ. Uh, that was one. Uh, he took a very strong anti-lordship position. He got in, into a theological battle, I think, with John MacArthur at the time. Uh, and there was uh, one other issue uh, that I, I, doesn't come to mind right now, but uh, the lordship of Christ was one, and there was, there was something else that was related to that. Uh, I think the new birth, the, the whole issue of the new birth, what does a new birth do? 
You know, I still mm-hmm. to this day, I find uh, having issues with some, if, if, with what I call the more extreme IFB, the hyper fundamentalists uh, that have been affected by Hiles, that they really have very little concept of the new birth and sanctification. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's you, you, you do this thing and then you just fall into the mode. You, you follow, follow all the rules once you, once you uh, make that initi- initiation of that prayer. Now, so that was was a conflicting, I think, with biblical theology. You, you listen to people like like old sermons by uh, Lester Roloff, Doctor Law, and Doctor Grace. I don't know if you ever heard his sermon on that. Uh, I know the name. Yeah, I don't. I can't. I can't say uh, I'm familiar yeah, with that sermon. Yeah, I'm talking about a whole different generation. I mean, this is mm-hmm. uh, the '60s and '70s and, and early '80s. I think Roloff was killed in a plane crash in '83. Uh, I think uh, somewhere around there. Uh, he was was uh, uh, real big with the uh, IFB movement, especially with, with Hiles. But him and Rice and others would hold to that repentance. So that's the other one's repentance. That uh, re- repentance from sin is not necessary for salvation. Now you can you can uh, you repent of your false doctrine, but you don't turn from sin. You know, oh. so that was part of the issue as well. You know that, that you don't really have to confront the, the person with their sin. Uh, that will come later. You know, you just want them to get to make that initiation, that prayer. Yeah, you yeah, mentioned uh, lordship salvation, and I find when I have conversations with people, I, I was actually I went to a local um, Baptist church, Independent Fundamentalist Baptist church. They were having a revival, and I've never really been to a revival. And so I told my wife one night, I said, "I'm going to go over here and check it out." <laughs> and so I went <laughs> over to it, and one of the guys that was preaching. Um, if I said the name, you'd probably, probably be familiar with it. Maybe I'll tell you offline, but the guy was preaching. And then there was another guy that was with him that was preaching that brought up the Lordship salvation and how they despise that, that movement. And, and he did clarify and say, it's not that we don't believe Jesus is Lord, but I think what tends to happen is it, it almost seems like when I'm interacting with some of these individuals within the IFB, it's a, it's a talking past one another. Like I'm trying to explain to them what lordships, what what is the lordship salvation? I think I may have lost you there for a second. Uh, yeah. I think I okay. Lost okay, there we are. So yeah, I, the, the screen froze. Yeah, yeah. So like with the with the lordship salvation, I think sometimes it's a talking past one another because their view of what it is isn't really what it is. It's mm-hmm. not a working for salvation. It's not that. It was a response when John MacArthur wrote the gospel according to Jesus, and this issue came up. This was a response to the easy believism with Charles Stanley and some of these other guys that said you could basically walk away from the Christian faith, but if you said that prayer, if you had believed at one point, you're still saved. And so it was basically mm-hmm. what you mentioned. There's there's no repentance. There's no uh, um, continual uh, belief in Christ. There's no continual you know, mm-hmm. a process of sanctification that, that the Lord is doing in you and through you. And so I think it's a lot of, often it's a misunderstanding of that. And, and even with repentance, as you said, you know, the understanding that when we think about what the new birth is, when we look at John 3, a lot of people think that once they believe, they're, that's getting the, then they get this new birth. But that re, that's regeneration that's taking place there. We see that in Ezekiel 36. This is what God is going to do in the heart of the mm-hmm. individual. And so they're regenerated. Um, not to get into a, a theological, this one comes before this, but we do believe that regeneration happens and then, you know, one mm-hmm. believes. So the regeneration is there and then comes faith. 
And so where they get that opposite of that. So anything else you would want to say with that or? Uh, yeah, I, I think that that the whole essence of the gospel is Jesus Christ. Who is he? Mm-hmm. That whenever you see him presented in the scriptures, you see him presented in the book of Acts and how he presents himself. We have to recognize who he is. Now, and if you recognize who he is, then you're going to do what he says. You're going to submit to him because he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Mm-hmm. And as Psalm 2 says, uh, uh, kiss the son lest he be angry. Yes. Now, what that yes. means is, is you, you submit to the son. And, and that's the whole essence of the gospel. And so uh, what the gospel becomes in this other uh, uh, viewpoint is that it is a, uh, a, a conforming to a program and a system. Okay, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've said this or said this, and now I'm in. Uh, whereas the gospel itself is, here is Jesus Christ. You need to bow before him, submit to who he is, believe what he says. Right. And what right. he says about you, yourself, and what, uh, what he says about God, all these things. And, mm-hmm. and I found yeah. all of that yeah. lacking in that movement. Uh, and and uh, it was, well, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, Mike King is watching, and, and he has also come out of a Hiles kind of IFB background. And he is, he's mentioned, he said he used to have okay. Hiles' book, Enemies of Soul Winning, and, and was saying maybe, had you heard of that book or had that one as well? Or uh, I'm not sure if I had it. Um, one thing that happened to me after the scandal in, I think it was 89 or so, was I had all these books by Jack Hiles. And I wrote a letter to, to uh, Robert Sumner, who had written the article about Jack Hiles. I said, what do I do with his all his books? And he said, just burn them. <laughs> <laughs> so I burned, I got rid of all the books. And he said, don't give them away because you, you end up hurting somebody with them. Just, just mm-hmm. well... And now I look back, I wish I had the things because I could use them for reference. But right. uh, I do right. remember that book. And one thing I remember about the book, The Enemies of Soul Winning, was one was Calvinism. Mm. You know, and I think that one of the things that you can pinpoint an extremist IFB is if they say that Calvinism is a heresy. You know, that we were taught that in, in, in the uh, Hiles Anderson. And uh, I didn't know what it was but I knew it was bad. Mm-hmm. I came to later find out that Spurgeon was a Calvinist. Bunyan was a Calvinist. Whitfield was a Calvinist. And I started going, and I learned about all these people in, in uh, church history with Ed Reese. And I, there was a lot of conflict there, but, mm-hmm. but when it, whenever yeah. an IFB church would say that, I think it shows a great ignorance of theology. And also uh, I think that it shows that they are more Pelagian uh, than what they would be. Uh, a biblical Christian, you know, to go out and just say that the doctrines of grace are the uh, uh, of the devil, you know, that that's something that 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 ought to send off a that ought to send off a, a red flag right away, you know, that you're in the wrong church. Now you can say if someone can say I could disagree with it, right? I don't right. agree with it, uh, but if they say that it's a heresy, that's just right there. That 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 uh, is a sign you need to get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one of the things that um, I know has been a difficult uh, when me and my wife started to date um, because she was in this Ruckman church and they would preach hard against Calvinism. Um, and they, I, when they found out, when they heard that she was dating this Calvinist guy, you know, um, they gave her a like four or five pages of um, this sheet of all these things against Calvinism. 
And she showed it to me and I, or she told me about it. And I was like, how much scripture's on there? And she's like, there's not a lot of scripture. There's just a lot of argumentation. And I said, well, here, mm -hmm. here's a whole list of scriptures on the doctrines of grace. <laughs> Go study mm -hmm. it for yourself, you know? Um, and, but yeah, that was, that's one of those things. Like you said, like, like I have brothers and sisters that are not Calvinists. We can disagree on things. We've had many mm -hmm. of those conversations here on this program. Um, I think it, it comes down to the essentials. And I do think that when you reject Calvinism, um, there's, there's Calvinist heretics too. There's, there's, there's hyper-Calvinism oh, and things, but I think when yeah, you no reject doubt. that as a, as a whole, um, you can be open to things such as open theism, denial of original mm -hmm. sin, speaking of, you, you mentioned Pelagianism, because you have to talk away what the scripture says, and you have to come up with ways to kind of disprove mm -hmm. what the scriptures say. And so you end up well, we don't have original sin. That was an Augustine. That was a Roman Catholic thing where we don't have, or God doesn't know everything. That's why he can give people free will and not know who's going to be saved and who's not going to mm -hmm. be saved. And so you end up in those kind of ditches. Thankfully, not everybody who is not a Calvinist who holds to a free will believes that, you know, they're not consistent to that theology, mm -hmm. but that's where it consistently takes you. Yeah. One of the things that, that turned my mind in that area, uh, when I left, I left the IFB movement, I was, was uh, it's not a Calvinist, uh, but one of the things that turned me was the, the commentary by I think it was Haldane on Romans. I was teaching a Bible study on Romans, and I was kind of in a flux now that I had left the IFB world. And someone gave me that commentary, and I began to study through that, and it, it really opened up my eyes. Uh, the scriptures are plain and clear, you know. And the only way you can get around these things, you know, you get to election and predestination and things like that, is you, you've got to complicate, overcomplicate what the scripture says. Mm -hmm. Now you turn mm -hmm. Romans nine uh, into a diatribe about Israel and, and other nations and things like that. Whereas if you follow the whole the flow through, uh, then you can see it's talking about salvation. But uh, that was uh, and then uh, reading the Puritans. Uh, I um, attended just just on a whim. I attended an OPC church uh, after I had left the Hiles movement, and the pastor gave me a book called The Forgotten Spurgeon uh, by Ian Murray. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that was one. That was something that, that also kind of led me in 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 that that direction as well. I mean, the scriptures themselves do. But what I was doing is reading the scriptures and trying to view them through an IFB. Uh, set of glasses, right. and once that was gone, you know things were 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 beginning to to gel, and and it was the, the Puritans and and going through the Book of Romans, I think, was really set me uh, in yeah. on that path. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you when you preach through the scriptures or you're teaching through the scriptures exegetically, it's hard right. to get around that. If you're just picking certain passages and dealing with this here and topics here, not that you can't do topical preaching, but if it's not exegetical through that passage, it 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 it, it tends to you can pretty much um, eisegete it and start putting into it what you want it to say, right. rather than taking the full of the context and saying, you know, I might be pe preaching just a passage here. But in its full context, this is what's being taught and then broken down to this context. You're, you're not being uh, faithful mm -hmm. to the text of, in, the, in the context that it's in, uh, and it can get you into a lot of troubles. But one of the things um, that you had mentioned before, uh, you mentioned the word cult. And so I wanted to ask, what were okay. maybe some of the aspects of the cult likeness within the Hiles IFB? Because like, I know 
my wife has mentioned it to me that there was almost like a cult like mentality. Um, not that everybody again is, is an unbeliever or whatnot, but there's, there can be this cult like mentality. Um, but that was, she said that's from her perspective, but I wanted to ask Mm -hmm. you, you know, like, was there anything that you saw as, um, aspects of it as being cult like or cultish? I think the the two primarily, the primary uh, things would be the exaltation of personality. You know, everything seemed to, to, to rise or fall on the person of Jack Hiles. And then those that were under him uh, and in authority would, would be the authority. You know, it wasn't so much scripture as what it was with Dr. Hiles said. And then there was the other aspect is where you, you could not think. Yeah, you were told what to believe and you could not compare one idea with another. You know, you're, you, you have a certain thing that you believe. And if you strayed from that, uh, you did so at your own peril if you wanted to be involved in the group, because one, if, if you ask too many questions, uh, you would, uh, especially as a college student, you'd be removed. Mm. So you couldn't mm-hmm. think. And that was the hardest thing for me when I left there was learning how to think and learning how to, uh, to debate, to compare, uh, to have discussions, you know, w- without having that fear of if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that is definitely one of the, the aspects of a cult for sure. When you, when you look at, you know, I've got a bunch of books here, uh, Walter Martin, Kingdom of the Cults, and, and mm-hmm. some other books on cults, where it is a trait of a cult to control the thinking of an individual, to control mm-hmm. the mindset you know, to isolate them from uh, being able to think for themselves or to examine things and even question things. doesn't mean you're questioning for the sake of being argumentative, but maybe you're just not understanding something or you're seeing something that's not lining up with the scripture. And so you're trying to um, get clarification or trying to understand, hey, we're, we're being taught this or this is what you're saying, but I'm not seeing that here. How how are you coming to that conclusion? Um, mm-hmm. But when you when you completely cut people off from being able to do that, you are trying to control their thinking and control them ultimately. Um, and that is cult-like behavior for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had, I had a very close friend in an IFB church. After I left First Baptist, we we went into an IFB church and uh, their kids were raised with our kids and uh, very close. Uh, and later when I had left the movement, we were st- we still had some contact and, until that eventually was broken off. But but uh, the, the the lady uh, was was uh, confiding in me that her husband had tried to talk to the pastor. He just had a question about the pastor uh, about the, about a message that the pastor preached, and the pastor excoriated him and said, "You don't tell me how to preach." Well, he just had a question. No, and so she's crying her eyes out, saying, "What do we do?" And they're looking for another church. Well, the sad thing is, they went to another IFB church, which pretty much uh, had the same type of philosophies. Uh, so yeah, that that would be pro- the, one of the primary things. And the one thing I noticed when I got out of there and went to actually biblical churches and heard biblical preachers was the deep emphasis on the Word of God, the exposition of the Word of God, and the and how that that you grow. Uh, whenever you're hearing the just the Bible being preached, you know, uh, you, you go to IFB churches, and you'll hear some real flowery, uh, exciting, uh, sometimes very loud type sermons and, mm-hmm. and exhortations. But the word of God, uh, I mean, if you ever if you take like I, I remember hearing and I had a book that when I, I got at Hiles Anderson about on Billy Sunday's sermons. 
and how what a great preacher he was. Well, I sat down and tried to read that book one time, and there's almost no scripture in that. Mm. You know, he's, he'll talk about the booze thing, and you know, and, and uh, temp, temperance and all that. But there's very little scripture, and almost then, if if you take and transcribe some of these sermons that you hear, uh, and people are shouting "Amen!" and 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 boy, that was a wonderful sermon. If you sit down and actually read it, say, "Well, that, there's almost no substance to that at all." I mean, there's mm. stories, and, you know, funny things here and there, but but I noticed a great difference once I got out of there and got into churches where the word was taught, and and even in a in a Methodist church now. Like I said, this is not a United Methodist. This was a fundamentalist Methodist. But the pastor there would emphasize the word of God. And, uh, and there's, there's a Christian grace. And, and the, the, the way that, that you would grow under the word was so different uh, than, than being in, in, one, in the extreme IFB movement. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, it's very fascinating that you would say that. And, and quickly, I, I want to I ask you this. Um, because you mentioned this, I, I remember when I was looking at your page and listening to some of the things that you were uh, saying on your YouTube channel, I'm like, yeah, this guy's a Calvinist for sure. And then when I found out you were a Methodist, the first thing that came to my mind was like, how does that go together? We're, <laughs> we're talking Wesley here, who was not a Calvinist. Um, mm -hmm. And so can you explain a little bit about the fundamentalist method Methodist for us? I mean, just take a little time and maybe explain a little bit about that, because I'm not familiar with any um, I mean, there could be some around here that I just never ran into, but I'm, I'm not familiar. I'm in Ohio near Cleveland area, okay. Northeast Ohio. Um, so not too far from you, maybe about four hours or so from where, where okay. you are located. But um, I'm not familiar with, with that uh, Methodist uh, kind of fundamentalist Methodist. And just, just real briefly, um, the evangelical Methodist that I'm part of came out of the this is before the United Methodists existed. It was, I think, Methodist Episcopal or something in 1946. And there's a large group of them all over the country. But uh, they experienced a split themselves over the idea of, I, I think it was uh, perfection. You know, Wesley taught that you could reach a certain amount. Of, you can get, you could be perfect in perfect mm -hmm. love. And others, were, I think, were more realistic. Said, uh, none of us ever experienced that. And so there was kind of a divide there between fundamentalists and more Wesleyan Methodists, and they they, they both kept the same name. Uh, but the Evangelical Methodists, you'll find in there some Wesleyan uh, in theology, uh, fundamentalists in theology, basic fundamentalists. And in the past uh, 25, 30 years, there was even a Calvinistic move, move in that. And when you go back to original Methodism, you find that uh, it, it started out as Calvinistic. Now, that was based on the Articles of the Church of England, uh, which include uh, predestination and other things. Whitfield was out preaching Calvinism, uh, and, and when he when he preached the revivals, uh, and then there was this great split between Whitfield and Wesley over election. So that's where uh, there's very few and far between, but there are Calvinistic Methodists. Our church is is officially in uh, in doctrine a uh, Calvinistic Methodist. Uh, we have Presbyterians primarily uh, and uh, some Baptistic folks. Uh, but uh, it, I think it's the influence. If you're familiar with Martin Lloyd-Jones, yes, uh, he was he was a Calvinistic Methodist. Mm -hmm. So there's a few of them, not many. I haven't met very many. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was fascinating. I was like, this is this is a, a very interesting because, again, we I think what we're prone to do, and, and again, I do believe just like there's, 
brothers and sisters within the IFB, that there are Methodists out there that are brothers and sisters, but we don't usually associate them with the Calvinistic side of things the, theologically, you know, soteriology wise. And so, you know, it was, it was fascinating to, to, uh, to, to find that out. Um, we're kind of coming down to the end here cause we got a little bit of a late start, but I also want to be respectful okay. to your time as well. Um, any, any other final maybe thoughts within the last, you know, 10 minutes here or so that, um, you would want to say about this Hiles Anderson, the kind of IFB that maybe we didn't cover that you would want to bring up. I think that uh, the one thing that concerned me, and one reason I began the, the videos, was the influence of Hiles continues. You know, I thought uh, I had been away from it for a decade or more. Uh, I had spent some time in a, at a PCA church. I was an, a member and an elder there for a while. Uh, got back into full-time ministry or the uh, pastoring a church. And I began to see on online the influence of Hiles. And, of course, with the new IFB, I knew right away. Uh, that there was a Hiles influence there. And I saw, I thought, well, I'm going to have to, to uh, address this, you know, with my background and being there in the early days and everything. But there is a mark, I think of, of, uh, I, I think of a carnal uh, result, I guess you'd say in the, in the teaching. Uh, if you go through and you look and see what has actually happened there in the past, I don't know what that has been going on in the past uh, 10 years or so, but you had uh, this, the scandal with Dave Hiles. You had the scandal with Jack Hiles, which he denied, I think, up until the day he died. But his, his children say that it was going on. Uh, the scandal within the rescue mission of the church. You had, uh, there was issues going on with teachers. You had Joe Combs, who horrible, horrendous things, went to prison. Uh, Jack Scott, who recently, I believe, got out of prison. Why do these things happen uh, in these churches? And these churches are such, they, they, they would promote the idea of morality and and keeping the rules. And I, I think it just goes to the fact that there is a, a, a lack of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And it goes back to the theology. You know, that a person is, when a person is saved, the Holy Spirit enters that individual. And that individual is now going to be a different person. All old things are passed away. All things are become new. And that is almost completely lacking. At least it was in that teaching. And I think it goes to show these people are trying to hold on uh, to morality, and you can't do it of the flesh. No, and, and so uh, I think that's that may, may be uh, perhaps the biggest difference. And, uh, and and again, I know you've pointed this out as well. I mean, there are good Baptist churches and fundamentalist fundamental Baptist churches. I have nothing against that at all. I disagree with them theologically, and I'll, I would debate with them if, if need be. But but I believe there's real Christians there. But in this extremist movement, uh, I, I think that it just tends uh, toward a spiritual declension you know if you if you're a spiritual person when you get in you're going to be worse off when you get out there's a lack of the word of god there's a promotion of personality per uh, the uh, individual over the scriptures and uh, i think that, that christ does, does not get his his just due uh, in in the pulpit or anywhere else there yeah it's yeah. definitely it's been my experience um in wanting to engage with people, and again, not out of a, a heart of wanting to just be argumentative, but to just really discuss because I love theology. I love to talk about these things. And so, and I do believe there's brothers and sisters in Christ mm -hmm. with, within these movements, some even pastors who just that's kind of where they've grown up in that kind of system. And I want to have those conversations, but it, it, it does seem to be very much of this controlled thinking. 
I don't want to engage mm -hmm. with you about those things. I don't want to have those kind of conversations. Um, and, and it almost, almost reminds me of Mormonism and Jehovah Witness, almost, not all completely of their theological points, but in mm -hmm. the aspect of as soon as you start to debate, and I mean in a healthy debate, not again, not, not saying coming out argumentative with somebody, but as soon as you challenge something that they believe and say, well, what do you do with this passage here? Well, we don't want to debate. We don't get into those kind of conversations, or right? right. I don't want to. It's kind of like the conversations are shut down, and and that should should never be a place. We don't know. I don't know everything in in scripture. I don't know all of theology. I'm willing to learn when people are showing me, but they got to show me from the scripture. You know, if if they're challenging right. something from what I believe, you got to show me from the scripture. Um, and and I may walk away not seeing it. Maybe I'm in error and I just don't see it. But you have to you have to show me from the scripture, or maybe I do see it. Maybe you show me and and I see it, right? Um, but it has to come from the scripture. And I think that what ends up happening is it it almost seems like that kind of mentality of Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, where they just completely shut down the conversation because they don't want to deal with anything that might challenge their presuppositions or or through those glasses, like you said, that they're right. looking at it. There's one, one more thing I'd like to add. I, I ran into a, a fellow Hiles Anderson student. I was working in Claysburg, Pennsylvania, and at a printing plant. And I got to talking to this fellow. I said, oh, I went to Hiles Anderson. Oh, really? Yeah. And and we just back and forth a little bit. And then he says, I'm not in the church anymore. I kind of backslid. And, and I knew he was kind of a profane guy. And, and I said, that, are you sure that you ever slid forward in the first place? Mm. And I got the just a blank stare. It's just like, like a deer in the headlights. Like I said something that just shocked the daylights out of him. And then the conversation just died. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was the end of it. But yeah, I think it goes back to that idea of, of the Holy spirit uh, working within the heart of the individual. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Well, pastor Jeff, I, I appreciate you coming on the program tonight. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to, to sit down with me and to discuss this. I'm sure there's so much more we could, we could talk about oh, yeah. in the IFB. I know a lot of things have come to mind from conversations that I've had with my wife and, and just her background of coming out of this. And so there's so many things I'm sure we could talk, talk about, but, uh, I do want to point people over to your YouTube channel there. You have sermons on there as well as some, some mm -hmm. videos concerning the IFB and the new IFB. And it's, it's uh, Jeff dollar is the YouTube channel. If you look under his name, uh, you'll, you'll find it there. Just put Jeff dollar and IFB and that'll probably bring something up. And so, uh, yeah, we've been working on the uh, United Methodist stuff too, as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, <laughs> so thank you again for, for coming on the program. I really do appreciate you taking the time. Oh, uh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. All right. God bless. That's been G220 Radio. Like I said, next week, we're going to be talking about divorce and remarriage as part of our family series. Mike will be back, Lord willing, and, uh, we will continue that series. And then the following week, we're going to have our friend Steve Christian. He's debated some of the Catholics over at Catholic Answers, and we're going to be talking about Pope's Purgatory and praying to the saints. So you're going to want to tune in for that one as well. That'll be at the end of the month. So until then, God bless and good night.